want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, Merry Christmas. Merry almost Christmas. By the time you hear this, depending on iTunes jerkery, it may be before Christmas, it may be after Christmas. We're not really sure. We're not really sure. But in this, this you know, this mental space we're creating, happy Christmas, everyone, or non-denominational present giving holiday of your choice. Uh, get some cookies, maybe get some, some holiday cheer, eggnog style. And hail Satan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hail Satan. Uh, I can't even do it. I used to be able to do it. I can't do it anymore. Oh, well. Oh, well. This is where I'll have to throw in the uh, the audio clip from that oh-so-delightful of Christmas specials. But it is that time of year, which means it's it's time for lists and countdowns because we both love and hate them and also are not creative or strong-willed enough to not do them. Yeah, pretty much. And we realize that everyone has already done their TV list by now, but, you know... I'm of the opinion that people do lists too early. It's way worse with film, but it's still pretty bad with TV. And, you know, especially because, you know, this has been, I mean, it's been an incredible year, but it's also been an incredibly dense year. And even someone as hardworking as yourself, Kate, even you did not manage to watch everything. I did not manage to watch everything. And I actually, I feel pretty strongly about this whole having lists up on the first day of December thing, because guys, there are 12 months in a year. And if you have your list uh, up at the beginning of, of December, you're cutting out a twelfth of your year. And that is just silly to me, especially when, at least for me, my number one show last year was Treme, and it debuted on December 1st. So that was not going to be a thing that we did. Um, the, the shows that I have not yet gotten to, I, I strove, I did my very best. I caught up with Borgen, which was a three-season thing that I had to get catch up with. So that ate most of my time. So my biggest regret is Adventure Time. I still have only seen a handful of episodes, um, so not nearly enough to really give me a picture of it or, or put it into, into contention. I have not seen In the Flesh. I have not seen Time of Death. I have only seen about half an episode of Blutch the Circle, which I very much am enjoying, by the way. I also have not seen any Nathan For You, which I've seen show up as the people's list, not Alpha House. So there's a couple of, of the... Um, the more mainstream ones, but that didn't really make big ripples that I haven't seen either. But the the big ones that for me that stand out is, is really it's it's Adventure Time, and uh, and maybe maybe in the flesh if that's a fades kind of situation. I, I I look forward to finding out about those, you know, as we continue on the hiatus. How about you? What are your regrets this year? Most of what you just mentioned, I haven't seen <laughs> almost all of it. In fact, along with, I kind of regret not going back and giving Enlightened another crack, but honestly, I did give it two separate cracks, and both times I just thought, I can see, I acknowledge why this is good, I, I, it's registering with me, it's not that I don't get it, I just got this distinct sense of, folks, this, it's just not gonna work for me. And, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll, I will at some point in the, in the distant future, if someone hands me the season one and two DVDs, I will give it another crack, and maybe I'll have that eureka moment, but I really don't think it's gonna happen. 
let's be honest here. This is going to require a DVD shelf, basically. Someone's going to have to want to come on to talk about Enlightened to really get you to, to buckle down. Well, if recent press is anything to go by, there will be plenty of willing critics to do that. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Now, what? how did you go about compiling your list? As you said, it has been an incredibly dense year of television. What was your process for whittling it down to, to 20 or, or even 10? Well, I took a look at everything we'd spotlit just for the stuff that I was, you know, that was going to be easier access. And then I took a long look at everyone else's lists since they all got published already. And then I rewatched some things and I watched some things I hadn't seen yet. And then I just basically threw darts at my mental dartboard. <laughs> I really try not to obsess over lists. I just, I make them... I look at them, maybe I shift them around a bit, and then I finalize, and that whole process I just said to you probably takes me about half an hour. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's just, um, yeah. Go, so go to the other side of the spectrum for me, <laughs> because I love doing lists, and I also hate doing lists at the same time. It's very much a, like a sadomasochistic situation there uh, for myself. Um, but so the way I compiled this, and I, it's, I do a similar process if I'm going to make a top films of the year list, is I went by premiere date and looked up lists of premieres for every month of the year and wrote down all the shows that I had seen um, that when I saw the name, I thought, oh yeah, I really like that. And that landed me with 50. Then I did a couple calls and it was basically the, the question of which one of these hurts the most to take off the list. You know, so I went through and saw which ones I was able to cross out first. And then when we got down towards the end, it, it was, uh, it was a painstaking soul search. You know, the, the 10 to 11 cutoff was really tricky for me. 20, not so much. Five was easy. The first top five, I knew that instantly eight or nine instantly nine, 10, 11, 12, that whole range was tricky for me. I would say I, I try to make it as simple as possible. I just go with, you know, I, I remind myself of as much as possible. And then I say to myself, it's the end of the year. What is still kicking around in my brain? Mm -hmm. That is the main thing. Like, and, and, and something, and I, and I try to make up for the fact that some of these things aired in January, February. So I try to rewatch some of those things or remind myself that, you know, those things happened earlier in the year. So I try to adjust for that and then put everything on a relatively even playing field and then ask myself, Based on that, how much am I still thinking about it? And then that more or less makes up the list. That's about as scientific as I can get. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a good way to think of, about it. And before we get into our top 10, because I do have this list right in front of me, the first set of shows that, that went by the wayside that I really enjoyed that I think you, if you haven't seen everybody out there, check them out if they pique your interest in alphabetical order, Ben and Kate, Black Mirror, The Bridge, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Elementary, which actually I'm a much bigger fan of than probably a lot of people realize. The Fall, Happy Endings, Inside Amy Schumer, The Mindy Project, Parenthood, Parks and Rec, Les Revenants, Sleepy Hollow, and Southland. The Second Cull, after, so those went first. And then went Always Sunny, Archer, Bob's Burgers, Children's Hospital, Key and Peel, Last Tango in Halifax. That one was hard. Uh, Masters of Sex, Moon Boy, also very difficult, NTSF, SDSUV, and vying for quite a while for my top 20, but it did not make the cut, So You Think You Can Dance, 
Ooh. Yeah. Wild card. I know. It was a great season to say you think you can dance. I had so much fun with that show. Uh, it would be wonderful to see a reality show on. I, I kind of I felt like if if I did really love it that much, and I did, why not have that on my show? If only to say reality shows are good too, people. But um, I had I had be. to cut it or can be. That's a good point. So and any anything anything like that you want to mention? I have a couple that just honestly I did not bother listening anywhere near fifty. Mm-hmm. A lot of those shows, like there were so many shows this year that I thought like I know they're good. And I know I enjoyed watching them, but they didn't stay with me all that long afterwards. And many of them are shows you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. There were one or two that I had that that did hurt to keep out of the top 20, but I'll keep those to myself for now. Yeah. Oh, the other one that I should mention, because at the time I had not seen it, that did not crack my top 20, uh, Borgen. And it, I thought the third season, which is the one that is in contention for this year, it's not the strongest of the three seasons, and while I very much enjoyed it, and I do understand all the praise that it is getting, um, it didn't quite crack the top 20 for me. So that probably would have been in that most recent list of ones that were really hard for me to cut out of the top 20. So would season two have been in top 10 contention for you last year? Last year, probably. Ooh. Probably, yeah. I, I'd have to, I have to go back and take a look, look at that list again to see exactly where it would go, but there were some... There are some good moments and some really great scenes, as well as a strong arc, good characters. We'll talk about Borgen at some point, I'm sure. But, yes. um, but yeah. So that that's those are the ones that that stood out to me. Uh, let's dive in. We're gonna go back and forth with our our top ten, and then honorable mentions after that. So let's start out with number ten. What did you go with, Simon? Huh. Well, already mentioned by you as something you regret not catching up with. And it feels weird to me to list it because it's a show we talked about very little over the course of this year. It's Adventure Time. And one of the reasons we didn't talk about it that much is because of all the shows on my top ten, it's the show that I most enjoy watching and would probably least enjoy talking about because it's just such a pure, unalloyed joy to watch almost every week. I was just going, I mean, first of all, (laughs) the the season that is airing this year isn't done yet because it is a, I can't. I always get a kick out of mentioning it. It's a 52-episode season, so they've got another 8 or 10 or so still left to air in in 2014. Their production schedule is insane. But out of the 40-some-odd episodes or so (laughs) that Actually, no, I think they aired something like like 30, because I know that the the season actually started last year. So the the actual season is going to stretch out over like a year and a half. That's crazy town. It's completely silly. It's almost like an old-school, like, 1960s production schedule. And... Of the ones that aired this year, there are easily a dozen, uh, if not 15 or 16 episodes that are totally wonderful. Eight of them I would consider is- essential for anyone just getting into the show, and another eight that are just super awesome and fun and inessential for someone just making a first pass, but essential for anyone else. And just the the level of animation is so high, especially, again, considering the insane production schedules. The vo- the, the guest voices are never obtrusive. And they always have that quality of, I know who this is, but I'm not figuring it out just yet. And then you look it up, you're like, oh my God, that is so damn cool. Uh, best example, M. Emmett Walsh in his appearance in, I believe, the second episode of the season, although that's technically, technically last year, but anyway. Um, the sort of secret mythology or the, 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 the mythology that's quite buried or only knowable to people who have watched way too much of it is fascinating but never overbearing, and if you don't know about it, it doesn't detract anything from the show. It's just cool to know. Um, and I should also say that its approach to mythology is great in terms of the fact that it never takes it too seriously, 
but it takes it seriously enough that you could draw a through line through this. Like everything makes sense. You know, they're, they're not contradicting stuff just to be wacky in an adult swimmy kind of way. It takes it semi seriously. And also rewatching a lot of episodes this season, I was really impressed with the depth of emotion, which I think is stronger more consistently this season than any previous. So I have nothing, I mean, and I, I mean, just like any series and especially one that you would expect runs this many episodes a season, they're not all perfect. They're not all on that upper echelon, but man, when it's firing on all cylinders one way or another, either in terms of wackiness or emotion or both, there's nothing else like it. So yes, I'm very happy to include it on my top 10. All I can say is a couple of things from there may pop up on our best of the rest discussion dusty dusty him sad yeah <laughs> sorry but we'll, we'll we'll get there we'll get there you know listening to you talk about adventure time i'm almost positive i'm gonna love it when i catch up with it i've really enjoyed the episodes that i have watched and that also is just making me think of comic-con next year because the adventure time panel i went to was awesome without me actually having seen I think any of the show at that point, not to mention the fact that all the Adventure Time people and the Venture Brothers people are, are they're, they're the best costume groups. When, you, when you're walking around Comic-Con, they always, they're the best fans to hang out with in line. And so I, I think there's actually somewhat of like a zany connection between these two shows, or at least the fan bases for them. And I look forward to catching up with Adventure Time. I went with Venture Brothers for my number 10. This was such a wonderful discovery. I love the animation. I love the comedy. I love this just sensibility of the show. I tried to watch the first season quite a while ago on DVD, and I, I, just, I couldn't marathon it. And for those who've been listening for a while, you know what that means. For those who are new listeners, I watched all of Borgen in two and a half days. So that tells you my capability of marathoning. This was somewhat of a surprise for me. I didn't necessarily expect to you know, really dig it as much as I did. When I went back to look at this list, there were a couple shows. I'll mention another one later uh, that I wasn't sure if it was going to be in my top ten. It wasn't an immediate, yes, it has to be in my top ten. Until I went back and actually looked at specifically what the episodes were. And when I went back and looked at the Venture Brothers episodes, there was only a handful of them, maybe seven? Does that sound right? Seven or eight episodes this year, yes. The Cruel Bastards. <laughs> I went back and looked at that list, but like maybe there was one that I only liked, and the rest of them I really, really enjoyed. And so it, it, had, to, it had to make my list. And also, there's not enough respect for animation, and there's not enough respect for comedy. There's been just all of this praise for Bob's Burgers this year, which is a show that obviously we both really enjoy. But the notion of it being on a top ten is just sort of crazy to me this year, because it's not Bob's best year. Um, and instead, I, I mean, I really appreciated... Venture Brothers a lot more than Bob's Burgers and some of these other animated series that get more respect. Why do you think Venture Brothers aren't on people's lists? And uh, what's your thoughts? On, do you, I don't know if you want to chime in on, the, on that Bob's comment. Well, I'll leave Bob's there for now, but I will say that I think Venture Brothers, it's, it's a hard show for people to conceptualize if they haven't actually seen it because either they think it's, I mean, some people may be under the impression it's a serious superhero show, which it kind of is. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a really difficult because it's kind of satirical, but it's also totally earnest. It's on Adult Swim, which means which makes you expect total randomness, which it's not at all. It, it shares with Adventure Time having this insanely dense mythology with, in the case of actually in both cases, easily over a hundred characters, 
which a lot of which only they only dipped into marginally this season, which I think is one of the reasons you were able to enjoy it so much. In past seasons, I think it was in season three, they got ridiculous with their mythology. It just got insane. So I'm, I'm I look forward to the day when you when you catch up on previous seasons and we can really geek out about that. But I I don't think it's a good. I think as an experienced as an I should say as a hyper experienced TV watcher, I don't think you had a problem assimilating right away. But I think for the average viewer, it might be an issue. Yeah, I had no trouble with that at all, and, and that's um, that maybe I was expecting more of a hurdle there, so I was you know subconsciously trying a little bit harder to follow what was going on, but I was able to just dive right into the right into the show. I mean, this season we had Spanakopita, Spanakopita, um, we had Venturestein becoming a South American freedom fighter. We had Sphinx, we had Emo Dean, and we had Hank in his, uh, what was it, Victory suit? What was what was her his alter ego's name? Oh. <laughs> I, I don't forget, even but... remember, but I loved it. <laughs> yes. There was a lot of good stuff this season. I Honestly, one of the only, every, every, everything I do is highly emotion-based, and probably one of the only reasons it's not in my top ten this year is because I do miss the sheer scope of some of their past seasons, which was just necessarily missing uh, this year, even the lo- even the finale was kind of low key for them, even though by most standards it wasn't that low key at all. So I I did miss sort of the epic feel of some past seasons, and I'm annoyed at them that they you know Jackson Public and Doc Hammer are so intent on doing everything themselves, which means every season takes a year and three quarters to produce. Apparently, Ugh. it's like anyway. the anti adventure time. It really is, but. You know what? I'll take one season every you know two years if it means it's going to be this good. Yes, and there's no one as dedicated to their craft with with as strong a grasp on what exactly it is they're doing in their own voice than these guys for sure. Definitely. Let's move on to our number nines, sir. My number nine is Bunheads, which single tier. We are we will again. I appeal to my my brain appeals to emotion all the time, and we will never get to fate bunheads again which is probably a big reason it got to break into the top 10 not that it's not deserving and i think you'll agree there is nothing on tv remotely like it as far as i know uh i've never seen more than an episode or two frankly of Gil- of uh, gilmore girls i don't know how similar that was apparently it's quite similar i can't speak to that but i will say that it's sort of unfortunate that you know the 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 net of what can be on TV apparently gets a little bit wider every year and, you know, more shows, a, a wider variety of shows find acceptance, both popularity wise and in terms of critics. And that's great. But even despite that, there's still some shows that fall through the cracks and Bunheads to me is a perfect example of one that really, really shouldn't have. And I don't know how to fix that, except that hopefully it won't happen again. But I just thought that its blend of sweetness and wit and these incredible dance sequences and musical sequences and its realistic and no-holds-barred approach to show business combined with a sense of optimism I think was really unique and totally unlike other show business representations we've got in other shows, which are either hopelessly naive or just pointlessly nihilistic. This was somewhere in between, and I think it hit a really nice sweet spot with that. Sutton Foster is amazing. She's so amazing. And, I, you know, I guess she has a show on TV land coming up. So, God, I really hope that's good. I really want her <laughs> to do something good. Uh, I'm sure the Buttheads themselves all have lovely long careers ahead of them and will do fantastically well. But she's the one I'm, I'm, I'm really keeping an eye on for now. I mean, 
I have nothing bad to say about bunheads. I started looking at at my, at the list of categories for our year-end blowout, and one of them is best discovery. And I started to write Sutton Foster down before I realized that she was one of my picks last year, because Bunhead started in the fall last year and it had, and it ended this year. Um, so I had to erase her because she wasn't technically eligible and. Um, just such a delight. Bunheads is not in my top 10. It's in my top 20. It's at number 18 for me, but I am so glad that it's in yours. And, uh, and, and it, it just, you're, like you said, it's this wonderful blend of, of comedy and pathos. It has one of the most memorable and, um, and affecting dead characters on television of which there are a surprisingly large, you know, group. And it also just, it is not ashamed of happiness and joy and art and passion in a way that I, I feel like a lot of the other shows that even the shows that we love and we'll be talking about for the rest of this podcast, you know, there I've talked about this with Parenthood before. There are certain shows that act, that actually embrace the happy moments in life and joy and are not ashamed to, to spend time on that. And that that's something that doesn't happen on a lot of television. But Bunheads is one where it did. So I, I, I'm so glad that it's on your list. I think, think it's hilarious that it's on your list and not on my list, frankly. But um, I, I, it's a wonderful show. And well done, sir. And rest in peace. And the fact that... And one, <laughs> oh, we, God. Uh, spoiler alert. We have a category in our, in our next show. We, 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 we'll be doing our long set of miscellaneous categories. And I almost put... For uh, our spotlight of shame, ABC Family Executives, not only for canceling Bunheads, but for taking six months to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I ended up thinking of someone more deserving. Yeah, no, it's uh, oh man, do you even you just saying R.I.P. just crushed my heart a little bit more. No, oh, that's, <sighs> that's how I do. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's let's move on uh, to my number nine, which is Rectify, which, as I understand, is higher on your list. Yes, but we'll get there. Okay, so we're gonna. I'm gonna put a hold on that. I'll talk about Rectify when we get to it on your list. Um, let's go to your number eight, which is uh, my number eight is The Good Wife, which, which is higher on my list. Yes, so, so we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, number eight on my list is Eastbound and Down, and this is not on your top ten. It's not on my list. I not, think, which is not to say I did not enjoy it. It's it's on my top ten and not on yours, and Bunheads is on yours and not on mine. And I would never in a million years have predicted that a year ago. There you go. Wonders never cease. But I, I really loved this season of Eastbound and Down. I thought it was hilarious, consistently hilarious. And this is a season of television or a year of television in which I had no trouble thinking of dramas or shows that are comedic but also dramatic. I had, I had trouble. R reminding myself which are the comedies that I truly loved this year, and Eastbound and Down was the first one that came to mind, and uh, and I, th I think it's because of the performances of of the lead, but also the strange blend of insanity and heart that the show has. There is a true bizarre kind of love that Kenny has within him, our main character Kenny Powers, and it. And and I like that the show is again sort of like I was saying about Bunheads. The show's not ashamed of that. Kenny might be, but the show isn't. <laughs> and it just th this show is insane. Can we just? It, it's insane when you think of just think of the chin 
that we the the, the <laughs> all right this this is a completely insane show but it also is a, a cutting examination of ego and family and in this season show business as well as a lot a lot more um and self-destructive behavior and 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 how family can or can't get you through that i mean i, I think it's both hilarious and also incredibly touching and that is an that is a tricky thing to do. So the just the sheer joy I got out of this in, in enjoyment, I should say, not so much joy, but enjoyment that I got out of this season is why it is at my number eight spot. I think what kept it out of the top 10 for me and actually just just narrowly out of my top 20 was that I really was, especially after the kind of lukewarm ending I thought last season gave it when it was supposed to be the last season, I was really hoping for an ending that would just knock it out of the park so to speak. Oh, I did not even mean to do that. <laughs> and oh, I didn't even realize. I think the finale is good and it was head scratching in kind of a fun way, but it wasn't, I, th I didn't think it was quite up to the rest of the season. It, it kind of let it down a bit for me, but I will say that it's funny how you talk about how joyous and like secretly heartfelt the show is because I'm never quite sure if I find the show all that heartfelt, especially because I put it in the context of Jody Hill's other features. Um, like uh, particularly Observe and Report, which frankly should have been a Danny McBride film. You know, Seth, Seth Rogen is fine in it, but I think he probably envisioned it as a Danny McBride film. And it's had it had Danny McBride in it, it would have been the ultimate iteration of everything Jody Hill is about. And that darkness and that sense of social satire is always there in Eastbound. Maybe not quite as present in that last season as I would have liked, uh, but that element keeps me from thinking it's quite as heartfelt as you seem to think it is. So I think for that reason alone, just that discrepancy makes it a show worth talking about. And I'm glad it's on your top 10. Didn't quite make it for me. I still think the show never really topped its first season. But, uh, you know, if it really is the end, which I still don't believe that it is, frankly, because <laughs> I will just never believe them until it's been at least a decade. And even then, I'll, I will look askance at them every once in a while then I, I think it's certainly one of HBO's best comedies. HBO does not have a great comedy track record, frankly. It's obviously one of the best comedies they've ever made. Well, and you know, I don't have any of that history with, with Jody Hill's other work, so it's very possible. It's highly possible I am projecting my own sunny optimism and uh, and, and gooey you know, nougat center onto the show. But this, that's what I see in it, and that's what emotions it brings out in me and then it puts these ridiculous fake boobs on maria that are like so obscene that i i almost it almost bothers me but because i see all this other interesting discussion going on i still am willing to 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 let that go and also just before i forget and before we move on ken marino can we just ken marino beautiful thing all season such a great bit of casting and also I'm kind of blown away that they were able to steal John Hawks for for a couple episodes. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's not off doing a million other things is actually a little bit sad to me. Well, or maybe he is, and he and he made time for them too. You never know. Maybe I would like to think so. Um, now we'll take a quick break, listen to a little bit of music, and we'll come back with the next set of shows in our top ten.
gone through our number 10 9 and 8 let's move on to number 7 what made the cut for you Simon uh, my number 7 is a show that is not on your list and that's FX's The Americans which you know I talked about shows that aired earlier in the year that still percolate in my brain and I have to say there's still a lot of moments a lot of characters a lot of arcs this despite me doing absolutely no rewatching of this show which is saying something there's a lot that I remember about the first season of The Americans and I think it's the only show, it's the only new series that I was anticipating this year that actually lived up to everything I was hoping for out of it. Which is saying something. There's going to be some shows we're going to talk about in the other episode that I was anticipating at least and that didn't quite get there to varying degrees. But the Americans, I think especially for a first season, did almost everything right. Not everything. I think there are some little problems here and there, but the ensemble is just so great. I mean, everyone from Noah Emmerich to obviously Margot Martindale and our two leads, who I think instantly became one of the most interesting couples on TV. Maybe not the healthiest relationship ever, <laughs> not, the, not the most rock-solid foundation, but um, I think as an exploration of marriage, there's nothing else like it around. Even the kids are interesting. And as we know from watching so many other shows, that's so frequently done worse, even on better shows. And... Uh, I'm so looking forward to seeing what they do in, with the next stage of the Cold War in season two. And if the trajectory of past FX dramas is anything to go by, it's only going to get better, which is scary. <laughs> That's true. I mean, uh, the Americans is not on my top 10. It's my number 17. So I also had it very close to Bunheads on my list. Um, and it's that thing that you said at the beginning of the year, I, I wasn't quite as taken with it at the end of its season as I believe you were, I think when we were talking about our top 10 of the year so far, it wasn't as strong of a pick for me then as I think, if I'm remembering correctly, as it was for you. But I did still really enjoy the season. And I think uh, maybe if if it's the same thing, where if it were at the end of the year, you know, especially in, in the this half of the year where there's been fewer really standout shows, I might have uh, really embraced it a bit more just because I wouldn't have some other shows that we'll be talking about here in a little bit to compare it to every week. Um, but I do agree it was a fantastic cast, a, a, a really rather astounding freshman season. How many freshman shows uh, are, are as good as the Americans? I mean, there's not many. The, the answer is almost none. The answer is almost none. It, it was it was a fantastic season. It just didn't quite make my, my top 10. But I'm glad it did. I'm glad it made yours. Uh, Tusk? Tusk. Oh, man. The music, the, the use of music, even in just those first few episodes, was so great. And some of the ones later on, it had some of the best music supervision around. I just think that uh, Joe Weisberg, who, you know, is an ex-spook himself, 
apparently. He may have lied about that. I'm not sure I believe it, frankly. But I just think he did such a fantastic job for a first-time showrunner on a first season that's just, again, like you said, unheard of even for most experienced showrunners doing the first season of a new show and doubly unheard of for a new showrunner. So if this is what they're starting out with, I think it's going to be one to really watch next year in terms of... I, I just... If they can make the sort of leaps that these sort of shows usually do in their second seasons, I mean, can you think of a, of a highly serialized drama that didn't get better in its second season? I was trying to not make a Homeland comparison, but <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, fair enough. That's my only fear for the Americans, but uh, but yes, I, it, it's FX. They have a lot of our trust, and uh, based on this season, I can't wait for it to come back. Yes. We'll be talking about it a bit more next week. Uh, my number seven is The Good Wife. Um, and this was the other show I referenced earlier with, with the Venture Brothers, that there were a couple shows where I, I really liked them, but it wasn't until I actually reminded myself of what ap episodes actually aired this year that I was certain it had to be on my list. And, and the big one for me with this was The Good Wife. Because there's such a delightfully clear separation this year between the storylines of the past and the storylines of this year. Basically, they killed off Kalinda's husband, or didn't, uh, last year. And then one of our first episodes back was was the episode that had uh, Michael J. Fox, and then we had the 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 Everybody Has to Speak French episode. The the whole start of this calendar year was strong and entertaining, and then they started building towards what would happen in the fall with Red Team, Blue Team, and with some of these other episodes. It was became clear, you know, especially looking back, that they started building towards what was the most awesome episode of The Good Wife ever hitting the fan. I know that's very uh, analytical and high-mindedly critical of me to say, uh, but it was truly was a spectacular achievement. This is a network procedural that has managed to, in five years, build to the point where every single character who is the, the, among the main cast is someone that we care about or are, at least are interested in to, to some degree. And while, and I wrote, wrote this in our, our, top episodes of the year post which is up at sound on site right now while the show used to be us versus them and they would bring in the most amazing guest stars that you can get to be the thems now it's us versus us because it's all characters that we care about and this this five episode build at the in this fall has just been a tremendous so for its early part of the year uh amazingness and then just the the breakthrough to a new level of storytelling that that they've achieved in this fall the the good wife had to be on my list i couldn't have said it better myself but i'm going to try to <laughs> the i i'm sure i mentioned this before i spoke to an industry insider a couple months ago who told me that that they believe that the writers room in the good wife is the hardest working in the entire industry and I can't really dispute that. You're talking about a series that works with a standard issue network episode order of 24 episodes, I believe. At least 22, yes. Tw 22 to 24 episodes. I could have that wrong, which is already insane. There is no network drama that that gets away with with doing that and being good all of the time. The good The Good Wife is at least good literally all of the time. That already is insane. Let's just accept that at first. Blowing up your show five seasons in is unheard of for a network drama, especially one that's more or less a procedural with some carryover and soap elements. 
it just there's no guidebook for what they're doing right now. They're in uncharted territory. The Kings are clearly some of the savviest mofos on the planet in terms of their industry. And I mean, I I will follow them on this crazy lark wherever it is they want to go with it. And and also, you know, you said how it's evolved from us versus them uh, to us versus us, but really it's us versus us versus who knows because there are so many other forces circulating you know i i i always love to bring up the fact that we've seen the the gods of the nsa sort of like uh you know like the uh, like a roman chorus sitting around just waiting to pounce that was not a good metaphor or not well explained but you know what i'm saying um <laughs> you know there are so many it's such a not only a deep bench of guests but such a thoroughly fleshed out universe and it's one of the only shows that's ever made good use of that longer episode order that it's had every single season. You know, this is what showrunners should be doing with that amount of with, with that number of episodes is they should be accumulating guests. They should be building a huge universe to play around in instead of just doing the same thing every week. So, you know, everyone should be taking notes from what they're doing. It's an incredible show, especially it's obviously had its best year ever and I want it to just go on another 10 seasons. <laughs> and this good. Just keep getting, you know, somehow, I don't know how it could increase by the same, you know, percentage of awesome in the next year. Uh, but if it could, that'd be amazing. And we, I think we've already, I mean, that was, I 100% agree with everything you just said. Um, I think we should also mention just how strong and deep the, the cast is, the, the whole, the whole, um, main cast some of the supporting characters at floric agos have not received the traditional good wife you know backing they, they there's a few of those like the other carrie that we don't really know that well and i would i'm i'm trusting that they're gonna start making those feel like people soon or weeding them out or weeding them out one of the two but the the whole main cast is fantastic i mean not this is not just a juliana margulies show every actor that they bring in is 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 amazing um on the main cast and then you also add in the other elements of uh, i love the dialogue i love the score i love the that score baroque instrumental orchestra it's it's perfect for the kind of storytelling they're doing and you know just you know even down to the hair and makeup and costuming it just it's such a well produced show mm. yeah the, the show's visual language especially in terms of camera movement cinematography their use of the, their particular uh, sort of strained sensibility to opening shots, if nothing else, just and not to mention opening music cues, so completely different to anything else on TV. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful show. If you haven't watched it, catch up with it. It's great. Yeah, I, I, it's been fun being on Twitter and watching people catch up with it, which, by the way, means watching 100 episodes <laughs> and having no problem with it because it's so consistently entertaining. You know, there are certain people who are, it's been, like you said, a lot of fun to watch them, you know, freak out in the way that we did over the span of the show at various, you know, new developments and characters and all of that. Um, but this is not a Good Wife-centric podcast. This is our top 10. Let's move on to number six. What was your pick? My number six is Top of the Lake, which I believe is higher for you. No, it's my number six, too. Oh, right. It's the same on both lists. Fantastic. Well, I'll start. It's the only single run it's the only miniseries i believe on either of our lists um i would love honestly i think the ending is fine albeit slightly rushed i would love for it to be a continuing series at least in the sense of following the elizabeth moss character through more adventures i don't know if i would need so more in that particular setting but i loved her so much in this uh jane campion 
she needs to keep doing television. Obviously, the film industry is not equipped to handle her awesomeness. I mean, Bright Star was great, and you should really see it. And she's made a lot of other great films. But if this is what she can do with TV-style storytelling, I would love for her to keep working in the medium. This is just an insanely beautiful piece of work. And also an insanely grotesque piece of work. So many great characters that were so quickly fleshed out. The uh, There were so many attempts at murder mystery this year and serial killers and unpleasantness and sexual violence. And this was, I think, the most compelling of those. You will have thoughts on that as well, I'm sure. But there were a lot of different ideas about how to present a mystery this year. And I think Top of the Lake had one of the better conceptions of it, which is that if you figure it out before the end, it doesn't invalidate the journey and it doesn't invalidate anything on the way. And I think in terms of the obviousness of the result, it was somewhere in between making it so random that you'll never guess and having it be incredibly obvious the entire time. It was maybe about in the, in the midway point, if that makes any sense. And that's fine. It doesn't matter. It, it you know, it's, I, let's just go, I'm just going to go ahead and name, name names. The killing has the wrong idea. We don't need a million red herrings. One or two is fine. That's really all we need. More than that, and we start to get annoyed. Top of the Lake had the exact right length, the exact right pacing. Ah, God, just great characterization, fantastic acting, beautiful to look at, and lots of really interesting ideas about gender and history and setting and theme and I'm just blabbering now it's just it's, it was wonderful to see something this cinematic play out and get it and get the job done and get out yeah we talked about uh when it when it aired and especially when it finished up we had had maybe a little bit of issue with the pacing of the final maybe hour maybe 40 minutes yeah but otherwise this was such a beautifully paced story and when you talk about mysteries there have been like you said so many mysteries or, or um, serialized crime dramas you know one season long mystery basically this season and uh, or this year I should say this calendar year and none of them did it better than Top of the Lake none of them did it even close as far as I'm concerned to Top of the Lake and uh, it, I mean yes the characters are amazing yes that performance from Elizabeth Moss is just we loved her on on Mad Men already. We knew she was a fantastic actress from her work there. To see her in this it was just even more. I didn't realize there was another level she could go to, and there is. And this is it. This is where you can see it. Um, but but even set that aside and realize that I know this is something I've talked about on the show before on the podcast before. But this is one of the very few crime dramas where I not only remember the victim's name a year later. I care that about the victim. I care about that character. And I can you think of another maybe I guess Laura Palmer? She wasn't really Yep. She was the victim, but she was also sort of a character on the show. Like but for me, Tui is such a fantastic creation and it shows such a respect to this to the story, to the world, and to victims of abuse. That that they, that Jane Campion and her co creator cared enough to really craft not just a lead protagonist who could have some big, bad, scary people to go up against because look at what they did to a kid, but who was trying to actually help someone. It's, I, 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 I loved this. And um, to, to, to stop myself from blathering on, I will say 
oh, isn't New Zealand pretty? <laughs> yes. And <laughs> I, I felt this about a couple shows this year shot in, in far-flung places from us that, you know, it, it's a combination of great cinematography and an incredibly beautiful setting. It's almost cheating to say it's a beautiful show, but I think in this case you can get away with it. And we've already mentioned Elizabeth Moss, but shout-outs to the supporting cast. Thomas Wright, Peter Mullen, David Wenham, Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter, man. Her yeah. character deserves a whole other series. We get, did not get nearly enough time with her. No, I, I could watch... I mean, really, I think I could watch pretty much anything Jane Campion does and be be interested for, from this point. But most of those characters could follow their own show. I think it's telling that, uh, I mean, The Bridge didn't make either of our lists. And I think it's telling that the whole time we were watching The Bridge, we're like, so what's Jono up to? Uh, I think we might have learned that character's name because, of course, it was played by the same actor. We might have learned Linder's name by the very end of the season, but he, he was so much more memorable and interesting on, on Top of the Lake. It's just a beautiful kind of storytelling. I mean, how is Top of the Lake? I guess most people who have Broadchurch, which is another season-long mystery that I sort of compared to Top of the Lake, most people who have Broadchurch also have Top of the Lake. I don't understand anyone who puts Broadchurch above in a ranking. I, I just, um, just... Unless they have a real fetishism for continuing narratives and they're just like, meh, miniseries. That's all. That's the only logic I could see. Yeah. More people need to watch this because um, it's still, despite all the critical buzz that it has received, and it did get some Golden Globe nominations um, and Emmy nominations and things, um, despite all of that, it still has not received enough praise. So watch Top of the Lake if you have not done so already. We're just going to keep lathering. Let's move it Move it forward. Number five. Uh, my number five, I believe, is higher for you, and that's Orange is the New Black. Should we wait? Yes, let's wait, because my number five is higher for you, and that's my number five is Justified. So let's bump up to number four. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry if this is confusing for people at home. It's the best system we could come up with. It's about to get a little bit more confusing. My number four is Spartacus War of the Damned. Which is higher for me. So again, moving forward, my number four is Hannibal. And this isn't on your list, and I don't understand. I don't understand so completely that I'm going to need... I want to just toss to you and have you defend why it isn't on your list, but I shouldn't do that. That is bad podcasting. And there are maybe people listening who didn't watch Hannibal, so I should make the case for Hannibal first. Uh, there, there was not a bigger surprise for me all year than Hannibal because I was actively not looking forward to it. I was actively dreading having to watch Hannibal because as listeners of the of the Televerse will know, I watch every new network show. I watch at least one episode of every show the network's put out. So I had to watch this. I might have and that's with being a longtime fan of Brian Fuller and yet I still was dreading this. I was so beautifully pleasantly surprised by the show not only does it look amazing not only does it sound amazing not only is it filled with fantastic characters and performances and art design and costuming and just grotesque images that cannot be erased from my brain as much as i want to forget them more on that next week um it is a show about a serial killer that is not actually it's about Hannibal Lecter but most of the time it's 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 really about Will trying to deal with having killed a serial killer in the pilot in the most justifiable homicide you could imagine to save a young girl's life from her psychopath 
serial killer cannibal father who has a knife to her neck who has just killed the his you know his wife he, so so will kills this guy and he is destroyed by it over the course of a season yes having Hannibal Lecter as your best friend slash psychiatrist helps with that. And yes, being very sick uh, helps with that, especially if you don't know that you're sick. Um, and yes, being Will Graham helps with that. But this was a show interested not just in character and in the dark side of humanity, but in exploring what violence is and what death does to people and what even the most understandable, relatable, justifiable of violence can do and, you know, probably does do to good people when they are forced upon it, when, when it is forced upon them. I think it's a beautiful series. I think it's a creative series. I think it's a series with plenty of things to say. And I think in a year when more people watch the following, it is a series that needs to be on television. <laughs> it is a discussion that we need to be having as TV critics. Why isn't it on your top 10? You know what? It's I, I didn't actually finalize my argument until I was sitting there listening to you, so it's a good thing you didn't throw it at me first. <laughs> I am so impressed with Hannibal for all the reasons you've listed. I was stimulated watching it. I was possibly even more skeptical than you, and I probably wasn't won over until even the midway point of the season because I still had that nagging sense of, but it's a Hannibal show. I was much more separate about it than I had to be. That's not why it's not on my top ten. I would say the reason it's not on my top 10 is if I were going by aesthetics alone, it would be number one, probably. It would, it was, again, I was impressed, I was stimulated, but I was not very frequently moved. I think that was, it was that last dimension that I think every other show on this top 10 has over Hannibal, is that on occasion it, it would reach for that higher dimension. Uh, you know, for instance, including the stuff with Lawrence Fishburne and Gina Torres, that was great. But it was barely hinted at, and admittedly that little bit went a long way. But really, the only emotional notes of the, of the series are just sorrow and despair and other synonyms. I guess also terror. Um, but you know, I just and it, it was so well fleshed out. It was so beautifully played and so understandable and so natural for this, you know, for for these events and for this universe. But I think I would have appreciated a little bit more tonal diversity that's really as soon as you get up to this higher echelon of tv it gets down to this and if they can somehow broaden that emotional palette a little bit next season i think it would go a long way well see, i see i hear what you're saying and i think it's valid i i i obviously disagree because it's my number four but i i guess i i latched on to those the the, the exploration of alana and will relationship and friendship i also really very much appreciate that for once on television the the woman who says you know what it's not healthy for me to be in a relationship with you then doesn't start a relationship with the guy i love that um and so i guess there was enough you know looking at messed up father and child relationships with abigail hobbs um you know and also just the friendship ish I guess, between Will and, and Hannibal um, and, and then tying in. I mean, for me, it was a show that was full of emotion, interconnections and and examinations of, of more than just loss. But I, I do hear where you're coming from. It was, it was a dark show and it was a show that was at times very difficult to watch. It's, it's the least marathonable show of well, anything else this year. I mean, when I think about every relationship you've, you've just mentioned, yes, they were all nicely fleshed out, but they were all in some way based in sorrow 
or abuse. Like, okay. it's one or the other. And it was either based in it or it was feeding into it. Like, obviously, the Will and Alana thing just seemed to me like another elaborate reason for Will to just feel like shit all the time. <laughs> so, and I, I, I'm assuming that's not what they're going to do with it forever. But to me, that's sort of... Like, if you could somehow distill Hannibal the series into a two-and-a-half-hour film, which would be impossible because there was too much good stuff, like, that that depth and lack of breadth would be fine for a film. But to me, it was a little much for a whole season of TV. Okay, well, we'll see what they do when it comes back in February. But um, All right. Yeah. Let's just... <laughs> I haven't convinced you, eh? No, oh, not even a little bit. <laughs> Okay, but I, 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 again, I, I hear what you're saying to quote one of my favorite podcasts, uh, the lovely people over at Film Spotting. I hear what you're saying, but you're completely wrong. Okay, fair enough. So let's take a break, listen to some more music, and come back with our top three shows. In the deep, dark hills of eastern Kentucky, that's the place where I trace my bloodline. And it's there I read on a hillside gravestone You will never leave Harlem It's top three time, and we will actually be talking about each of these shows. We've reached a point of no overlaps. What is your number three show of the year, sir? Oh, do I do I get to do this now? All right, my number three is Justified! 
Oh man, uh, there are so many people who do not give Justified enough props. There's a decent number who do. I think this is one of the first years that Justified has gotten more or less the amount of props that I would like it to get. But I think it could still be a little bit higher. I don't think that there, and the fact that it premieres in January is such a bummer, because if this show premiered in October every year, people would be singing its praises to the rafters maybe even more than it deserves, because it's just so incredibly awesome. I can't think of, I mean, I'm looking at my top two, and I don't think, although they're ranked higher, I don't think there's another series that understands tonal breadth. I'm, you know, this, this goes so nicely from Hannibal. This is a show that understands tonal breadth more than anything else on TV. This is a show that can be tense. It can be even almost scary sometimes at how tense it is. It can be deadly serious. It can be completely wacky. It can be bloody as hell, super violent, or it can be all chatter for an episode. You can have explosions and you can have conversations. And those can take up equal, if not if not greater amounts of weight in the directions you don't expect. The best dialogue on TV, period. No question. Entire episodes are almost quotable in and of themselves. Uh, some of the best characters, I think possibly the best dramatic ensemble, period, in terms of the number of great actors in the in the guest cast and the main cast. Uh, I'm sure I've said it before, but I think Timothy Oliphant is giving the most underrated dramatic performance on any series, period. He does not get nearly enough props. I think he got nominated for the Emmy once. I'll be surprised if it happens again. It's hard to do what he does. He just makes it look easy. Uh, and this is a show that has such an incredible sense of, I mean, I, I already said it had great dialogue, but its sense of wit, I think, should be mentioned separately. This is a show that is just so full of wisdom about its characters and their predicament, and their respective predicaments, I should say, which makes it different from any crime show or anything even vaguely touching on criminals on TV right now because it's got that very clear sense of sense of perspective shot through every episode. I love Justified so much. And you've got the first two episodes of season five with you, which I'm angry about. Spoiler alert, they're good. <laughs> I feel like I can say that. It doesn't seem like that's really too much of a of a ruiner. I don't think people will be surprised to hear that this be the first two episodes of the next season are good. And that's as much as I'm willing to say. I couldn't help it, but I spoiled myself on who the guests are. And I'm just like I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I... We should leave that though for our, our mid-season, uh, mid-season discussion, which will happen in a couple weeks. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Justified is a truly one of a kind, amazing show. I 100% agree with everything you just said. It does not get nearly enough respect, apparently, even from its own creator, who is is more down on this previous season than either of us are. Um, the reason that I have it at my number five and not at number three like you do is because I did have a couple uh, just a couple little issues with this season as far as the the early episodes and the pacing of of their season long mystery and reveal uh, once they did once they got to the reveal. I mean, we all pretty much knew what the answer was. Uh, and yes. yet they were just justified is pretty high on the obvious spectrum for this one. Yeah. Once they got to the reveal, I was fine with with the season. Not a, not a, I was fine. That's ridiculous. I loved the season, and I really, really enjoyed it up to that point. There were just a couple scenes here and there that stayed in my memory as as, as uh, sort of red flags, and that's why it's 
only number five, <laughs> not higher. But you're, you're absolutely right. This is such an amazingly balanced show. It's it's laugh out loud funny and then deeply, uh, deeply philosophical the next minute without there's being any sort of emotional whiplash. It, like you said, it has a fantastic cast. Let's just talk about this season's guest cast, shall we? So we have, uh, I guess we should start with the, the obvious Mr. Constable Bob, Patton Oswalt. Giving an insanely great performance. He's, uh, we have a sixth man category in next episode. He was not my choice, but he would be a great choice for that category. He's had an incredible year and this was the cherry on top. It's in decoy alone. Yeah. My goodness. Then we also have Mr. Michael Malley. As I think one of the year's best villains. Come, came out of nowhere to be one of the year's best villains, too. No fanfare whatsoever. Uh, just just an incredible performance. And those are just two. I don't want to keep going because I will end up spoiling some of my categories for next week. Um, that six-man category being one of them. But uh, there, there were so many memorable creations just characters over the course of this season new and old uh and 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 these performances that both are completely arch and genre and heightened and yet fit so seamlessly in this world that you have no trouble believing the reality of it how does the show feel both completely stylized and completely natural at the same time uh, it's and that's the million dollar question, and I'm I'm not even always sure about how they do it. And I reviewed the show on a week to week basis, and I should be doing it again in January. I think another thing that's worth mentioning is this season more than any other, which is I, again it makes me sad to hear that uh, Gramios has been a little bit down on it. Is they did a fantastic job of folding in their supporting cast this year in a way they've never done before. So, you know, we 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 praise the Good Wife for getting better in its fifth season, which almost never happens, and Justify got better in its fourth, which is almost as impressive. Yeah, and there have been issues we've had in the past with some of the characterizations this year, especially in Decoy, and after I, I've really enjoyed Ava, I've really enjoyed um, the other the other characters brought in. They did a better job of incorporating the marshals. I, I assume that's what you were hinting at, and and of really making it be more than the, the Raylan show. And at the same time, this is going to kill one of my categories for next week, but we had such a wonderful performance, and goodbye to Arlo. Yes, yes, we did, and I know that that was a, that was a subject of dispute over at FX. But man, I think they found just the right time and way to do that. Yeah, that was that will be one of my picks next week. Um, but uh, that that combined with the, the you know just the what what it allows Oliphant to do and the character to be in those last moments and the last bits of the season it's it's really impressive we love justified I and mean, we and it's just the other thing and I noticed this because I was not to be a jerk about it but i have seen the first two episodes of next season and every time i come back to justified if it's an episode i haven't seen yet and i'm just approaching for the first time or if it's one that i've seen several times you slip right back into that world if the the world of justified fits like a glove and it's a comforting thing to hear that opening theme song to to hear these characters and their such individual and distinct voices and and speech patterns it's a beautiful wonderful show and you're absolutely right. It does not get enough respect for being as entertaining and great as it is. Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. It's fantastic. And if if next season can match or best it, man, 
we're in for some good stuff. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see which approach they take. They've now done the procedural. They've done the family intense serialized drama. They've done the balls to the wall, crazy ass crime story, and they've done the mystery. So we'll see what happens in season five. Uh, but let's move on for now to my number three, which was your number five, Orange is the New Black. Any thought? I've, I've just have been talking so much about Justified. What are your thoughts on Orange is the New Black? Why is it your number five? I think we can both agree that Orange is the New Black was probably the nicest surprise in 2013. Actually, no, it was definitely the nicest surprise in 2013. I had no expectations for this show. None. That is until murmurs started to get out near when uh, near after critics started to get copies and before the whole th- shebang went up on Netflix that was when I started to hear that it was really good but before that you know Genji Cohen I really liked the first season and a half maybe two seasons of Weeds it lost its way very quickly and it was never a great show I don't think and obviously we just had the very faulty rollout of Arrested Development I'm sure we'll talk about that later at some point again but you know, so many reasons to not think this was going to be that great, and I think one of the main ones also was totally it was completely there with our protagonist. You know, the hip white girl who winds up in in in, la- in women's prison isn't this going to be wacky? <laughs> and I think one of the greatest things about the show is that it completely understands the baggage that that we bring into the series and our expectations, and then it works to subvert them not immediately, but over the course of maybe the first two or three episodes. I don't think that the pilot to Orange is the New Black is one of the greatest things ever known to man. And I almost think that's the point. Like, it's almost as though she planned, like, a a just okay pilot and then was like, but wait, you guys, this is the whole point of having a whole season at your disposal right away is that you get to just just keep going a little. What what damage is one more episode going to do to you? You've got, you know, you can watch the rest or you could just watch a couple more. And if you watch even, I would say, one more episode you'll be hooked because that's when you start to get the other backstories. That's when you get a really strong sense of the universe and the tone. And this was another show that was, I feel like this phrase is going to keep coming up. Nothing else on TV, even remotely like this, even weeds was not really remotely like this kind that the sardonic sense of humor is kind of similar, but this is much sharper in every other sense. Uh, one of the most incredible casts of mostly unknowns, which is always so great to see. A totally different perspective, totally different set of voices, totally different viewing experience. And if anything validates the Netflix approach, it's this and nothing else they've done. If they can crank out one or two more series even close to this good, I think they're going to be a major player for sure. I 100% agree with everything you just said. What I would add uh, that I'm sure you would get to next, uh, we're on the same page on this, I know, is... I love the diversity of characters, the diversity of cast also, but the diversity of characters, there's all sorts of different people in this. Unlike a show that, you know, any of these other shows that we've talked about that have a very distinct tone where where most of the characters of the world fit into that tone. I know, for example, that uh, like Happy Endings was in a lot of discussion over at Sound On Sight for, we'll see whether it makes our our top uh, 20 shows of the year for the site-wide poll. But that's one where every single character feels very much of a piece with the world and with each other. That is not the case in Orange is the New Black. There are these just 
completely fully realized characters each comes from a distinct place with a distinct backstory and a distinct worldview and they're all shoved together and the conversations we get out of this are amazing just even looking at my television or in this case my netflix on my computer uh to see the people who are sharing a frame, that's not something we ever see on television. It's sad that I feel like I, that it makes me feel like I'm overstating the point because I'm a female critic, but I don't see these women on my television and I see them in life and I don't see them on TV. And that is a goddamn shame. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see that on orange is the new black. And it's depressing that it feels weird from time to time, but I have to remind myself that this is what it should be like. This is what casts of characters should be. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, but no, it's just, it, it more shows should be peopled by characters as wide ranging and diverse as those of Orange is the New Black. I think that's, yeah, that's absolutely true. And as I sort of said earlier, Kenji Cohen is so aware of what she's doing she even said, you know, she wrote the the show as having a white protagonist so that she could get the show made. Nothing against Taylor Schilling. I think she does actually really great work, especially near the end of the season. But she's so blatantly a device, A, to get the network's approval, and B, to smuggle right viewers in who wouldn't necessarily watch a show about characters like this, or at least think that they wouldn't want to. Uh, you know, she's she's so obviously a device to get us immersed in this world. She kind of becomes the protagonist again near the end, but by then she's come out something very different, or at least superficially very different. We we don't really know yet. We'll have to see what next season brings. But uh, just her approach to tackling familiar sort of tropes of women in prison or just prison narratives in general is so novel and funny and sharp and sometimes deeply depressing, uh, but always engaging. And if uh, it's another one of those freshman series that I that I think, man, if they can up the ante next season, or even just keep it like this, I'll be such a happy camper. Yeah, I don't even need them to get better. If they manage to maintain this level for another season, I will be astonished. Just because I think it's you know it's easier to start a story like this than to continue it when you're first meeting. You know, when you're finding out that Crazy Eyes's name is Suzanne. That that that's an easier story to tell than what happens next. That takes more creativity. Yes, and and admittedly, Genji Cohen's track record with weeds is one of the only things that I, that that has me concerned because that show did start out pretty damn great and then lost steam pretty damn quickly. So I'm hoping that that doesn't turn out to be the case here. Quite a lot. Yes, but let's talk more about about this world and these characters. Of course, you can listen to our season spotlight with, with Ryan McGee of, uh, of BoobTube Dude and AV Club and many other places talking about this first season. We go into plenty of depth there. Um, I just, there's a few, few things I feel like I got to mention. The chicken needs to be said again. <laughs> Easily the best Thanksgiving episode this year, by the way. <laughs> and there were some other contenders too. Uh, let's see, what else? There are fantastic performances from this this whole cast, but you know what's the most impressive? Whereas in other shows that we've discussed, I've struggled to reach for the the characters' names. I I really connect with the characters and I enjoy them, but I don't know their names necessarily. 
I, I know the names of every character on this show. I don't necessarily know all the actors, but I know all the characters. I can, you know, I can tell you five things about, about uh, Miss Claudette, about Red, about Pensatucky, about any of these different characters. And that's not something that most of the other shows, even the shows on our top tens, can, can be said. So I, the, the depth of this world created in, what, 10, 13 episodes? It's hugely impressive. And, I mean, the other thing that we should probably mention is the, you know, when we talked about the diversity, we should also mention the sexual politics of the show have been incredibly compelling. Its treatment of its lesbian characters and queer characters was is fantastic and a definite spotlight a definite highlight in this year of television for, for a lot of people, I'm sure. And, uh, I mean, along with everything else, it's, it's a really fun show. It's a really entertaining show. It's, it's a crazy kind of show, but it's centered in humanity and heart and honesty. And there's nothing I appreciate more. Yes. All those things. And, the, and I mean, just the fact that we have a transgendered character played by a transgendered woman like that in itself is a major that is a big goddamn deal so yes all all of the love to orange is the new black slightly different rankings but i don't think our feelings are all that different yeah in, in this year I, we both i think we safe to say we both had a clear number one and uh for me i had a clear top five not the order but just these were the five i knew i wanted to have in, in at the very top of of the year but a lot of these rankings could be interchangeable yes yes i think we can agree Okay, let's move on to our number twos, sir. My number two is Rectify, which is your number nine, making for the list's biggest discrepancy in terms of things that made both of them. This show, I was actually anticipating it a little bit because of the involvement of Ray McKinnon, who, uh, I mean, most people will remember from Deadwood. He was the reverend on Deadwood, but he's also a uh, writer and director in his own right. Very interesting fellow. Uh, he does not actually act in Rectify, but he did create it wrote at least the pilot and uh he has a very distinct sense of storytelling it's so distinct in fact that there is nothing on tv remotely like rectify i wouldn't even say that the other sundance series are all that much like rectify although i will say that the emergence of sundance the sundance channel rather is might actually wind up being the biggest story in tv of 2012 of 2013 even more so than the emergence of netflix i will probably be proven wrong by the end of next year but that's how I feel right now. I love this show so very much, as evidenced by its high placement. We've talked already about several different ways to do mystery on TV. Rectify completely rewrites the whole idea of what it is to do a mystery on TV. This is a show that exudes mystery, and it does contain a mystery, but whether or not the mystery is ever solved is of absolutely no importance. This is like if at the beginning of Twin Peaks, David Lynch and Mark Frost had said, we're never going to solve it, and they meant it, unlike saying we're never <laughs> going to solve it, and then they caved later. Uh, we, I mean, who knows if this will ever be solved, and it really doesn't matter. Um, this whole issue of, of, you know, because for anyone who hasn't seen the series, it does revolve around this, uh, this rape murder case from, I believe, 15 years previous, for which someone has been thrown in jail, played by Aiden Young, which oh, we need to get to him in a moment. But uh, Daniel's plight is just as interesting uh, just as compelling, just as heartbreaking, and just as deeply felt and observed whether or not he committed the crime, or what is the most likely scenario, which is that he had some level of involvement, but I don't think 100% committed it. That's what I think is most likely. But what, what I think is most likely really isn't important, because this is a show about 
not only about the journey, but about the moments on the way through the journey. This is the most methodically and beautifully methodically paced show on TV. Nothing even remotely like it. There are shows that are that are equally cinematic, but there is no show that is that is as methodical and is so almost obsessed with its characters. It's just absolutely in love with the idea of just watching these people evolve in slow-mo. And I have to say, just now, I think Aiden Young is giving the most underrated performance on TV, period. I said that about Timothy Oliphant earlier, and it was true when I said it then, but it's also true that I'm saying now that Aiden Young is not getting nearly enough love. Toronto native, apparently, who would, who would have thunk it? in a role originally written for Walton Goggins, who it's fascinating to think of that now because Aiden Young seems born for this part. Uh, I am in love with this show and I'm tickled pink that it's back for for a longer season this year. I can't wait to see season two. And I agree with almost everything you said. The one slight tweak I would say is that I agree that Rectify contains a mystery, but I don't think it is a mystery. I, don't, I think the mystery element to that, the, I'm sure as audience members, we want to know what happened. There are lots of people who want to know what happened, but this show doesn't really care about finding out what happened. And so that's why, to me, it doesn't feel like a, it's not a mystery show. It's a, Yes, right, yeah. It's an that's, examination that's of these characters. And that's why I would say, for me, Top of the Lake is the best mystery of the year, because Rectify isn't a mystery. It's not even in contention for that title. Um, so I wasn't trying to be controversial er- earlier. Maybe it would be more fun <laughs> if I was. But um, but no, I think it's, like you said, I think it's beautifully made. I think it's just, it, it's the, the definition of deliberate storytelling, and yet it is utterly engrossing, at least to me. And, and when we, we watch just a character go to a store, drive along in a car, we watch a character lay on the grass and breathe, and it is riveting edge of your seat stuff. You can't, like, you turn around and it's been 20 minutes. That's the kind of storytelling that I, or that's the kind of experience I had with Rectify this year. And it's my number nine. That tells you about this year. I I would say, though, that the series does depend on the ambiguity of not knowing whether or not Daniel is innocent or guilty. And in that sense, it's a mystery series. When you watch him lay on the grass and you have these thoughts, because we don't know the nature of the thoughts all the time, we know some of it because we know that he's feeling he's going through this really the the first season is all about his experience in out of captivity so to speak you know adjusting to the outside world that's the whole first season that's that's his you can't even call it an arc it's just a feeling the whole season is just that feeling and the many layers of that and sort of the external stimuli that come from that that in, in itself is a revolutionary idea in terms of tv storytelling but because we don't know or, you know, certain things we can infer, but there's a lot we just flat out don't know and may never know, that dimension adds a lot to those slow and quiet and those deliberate moments. So I think the mystery, or at least the unknown, if you want to call it that, is essential to what the show is doing. Well, and also, this is this is not a show interested in putting making us him, making us the protagonist. I don't think there are a lot of cinematic uh, choices, you know, especially things with with the editing, with the camera angles, with the the stillness or movement of the frame. There are a lot of things done to give you a sense of how he's feeling, but it doesn't try to make you 
him. We are instead one of the other people because we don't know what happened. Just like his family doesn't know what happened. Just like the people in the town don't know what happened. And that is so much more true to people's daily experiences. You don't know what's going on inside somebody else's head. You can observe them. You can try to understand. But you can't, really. And and I think that's a fascinating story to choose to tell. Yeah. And I think, uh, to speak to that point, the characters who are not Daniel are beautifully realized. Almost every single one of them. Uh, I would say they, they probably have a little bit more work to do on Tawny, played by Adelaide Clemens, a.k.a. not Michelle Williams. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think there's anything wrong with, with that depiction. I think that we we could just spend a little bit more time with that character and get to know a little bit more about them. But everything they did with uh, Amantha... <laughs> I hate. I do hate that name. It it may have. It, I won't say it knocked it off the one number one spot, but it's like the only thing I don't like about Rectify. But Abigail Spencer's character, uh, everything that they've done with uh, with Luke Kirby and with uh, Jay Smith Cameron, who is such an underused actress uh, playing Daniel's mom, and of course Clayne Crawford as Ted Jr., who in these six episodes I think has one of the most fascinating progressions, if you would like to call it that, of any character this year. I. You you enjoyed that Teddy character a lot more than I did, um, <laughs> but you know I, I'll speak to to Tawny and what she gave the show. I such a such a beautiful performance, straightforward and so so simple and yet not at all simple. Yeah, it's a minimalist performance, but it is a complicated character and a <laughs> fascinating character. And what the show gives us with that Tawny character is this examination of faith and uh, a depiction of what a lot, a big part of at least this, my country, not your country, but my country, the, you know, this is a country where it's Christmas time right now. The last statistic I read was that 96% of Americans celebrate Christmas. We're a very Christian country, even if Christmas isn't a particularly Christian holiday to a lot of people. But this this sort of um, smaller town midwestern or southern religious group that that she's a part of is something that is known to a lot of people. This sort of faith is a part of everyday life. That doesn't mean that you're particularly fundamentalist or that you are judgmental of other people. It's just a part of who you are, part of your identity that you would like to share with people you care about. That is something we never see on television, and it was wonderful to see it with the Tawny character. Absolutely. And I, I think in that sense, I appreciated Tawny more in terms of what she brought to the show than in terms of her as as an individual person. And again, like her relationships have not necessarily been as fleshed out as some of the others. Uh, it's one of the things I'm looking forward to most about season two. But yeah, I mean, I just there's nothing again, I'm going to say it. There's nothing on TV like Rectify. And there's that the great thing about I think the best thing about TV in, in 2013 is that there are so many shows that aren't like other shows. There's so many unique voices that have been made room for. And Rectify to me was the most beautifully distinct of those, uh, you know, other than our number one. <laughs> well, and uh, I think that's a good segue to go into my number two, because, again, there's, there's nothing else on television and I don't know if there will ever be anything else on television like Spartacus. And that is my number two. I loved this show. I, I, I enjoyed the show last year when I marathoned and caught up. This last season, is it a perfect show? No. Almost nothing is a perfect show. We'll talk about what was, I think, a perfect episode of television coming up here uh, with our number one. But also, I think, pretty close to that is, is Victory, this, the series finale of Spartacus such an underrated show one of my big disappointments 
in this end of, of 2013 is that it has shown up on one list. Friend of the show, Ryan McGee, who came on to talk with us about Spartacus, had it as one of the shows he discussed, but I have not seen it on another single list. Even other critics who we know love the show, like Mo Ryan, like some of these other people. What are we seeing that nobody else is? Well, first answer is the show. Uh, but Touche. Honestly, I think that when the complete series set comes out next year, I was reading Stephen tonight was hoping it would be out by Christmas, but that didn't happen, sad face. I would say one, one of two things will happen, or both will happen. The complete series will come out, and people will start to sing its gospel and wonder why they weren't watching in the first place. And second thing that will happen is... God willing, Stephen tonight will get Incursion off the ground, which will hopefully happen sometime next year. Apparently it's already written. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, and then because it's, you know, people are, are more willing to forgive, you know, heavily computerized effects in a sci-fi environment, which I'm assuming it will feature, then maybe people will go, go backwards and start to figure out that Stephen tonight is amazing. Uh, hopefully both of, the, both, both of those things will happen and then we will get to say, look, we were right back then. <laughs> but it's certainly true that more people will appreciate the show five years from now than is true now. I can't see a, a situation where that's not the case. It's such remarkable storytelling. I mean, we can look, we can talk about, I'm sure we will talk a little bit about just the audacity of this show and what it had to overcome and what a challenge it had you know in this last season we all know how spartacus ends even if you haven't seen the movie we all know how spartacus ends and yet they managed to create an utterly compelling riveting and it needs to be said fucking awesome show <laughs> i was wondering how long it would take to get to that descriptor because it's the perfect descriptor for the show but it created a show with so much emotion when you talk about emotion that being what really guided your list for me i had my five of we all know what the number one is going to be but we're still not name dropping it but spartacus orange is the new black hannibal and justified those were the five that i said this these are all seasons that i primally loved top of the lake fits in there too there's plenty of other shows in my shop to fit in there but my base core of my being love from television was peaked by spartacus this season it's my the show i'm the biggest biggest champion of of the on this entire list and i just the the passion and the commitment and the the again i go back to the audacity of this story and the way in which it is told. They created a whole new vernacular. They created a new dialogue. You I, I defy anyone to watch more than a couple episodes of Spartacus and not end up speaking in, in just unfortunately second-rate Spartacus speak. It's just, it's a beautiful show about devotion and, and passion and sacrifice and so okay, you got to start. You got to start talking. I mean, you're talking to the guy who wrote a whole op-ed ahead of that amazing episode, that amazing finale about why it's better than things you're watching. Uh, yes, I, it was actually called um, Why Spartacus is Better Than Your Favorite Show, which uh, is still true. It's still absolutely true. I didn't have it quite as high as you did. Uh, I couldn't honestly explain why. It's just how it happened, all right? But <laughs> it's not because it doesn't deserve to be number two as well. It's just there's too much goodness this year. And... I get why it's a hard show for people to to get into, and it's not even because of the historicity aspect. It's because it makes you think of 300. That's like that's really the thing. If if Zack Snyder's 300 didn't exist, 
no one would have a problem with starting to watch Spartacus. And I, and I agree you're shaking your head at me already. If you watch more than five minutes, you won't be thinking of 300 anymore, but you see the slow-mo fighting style. You see the blood on the screen. You see the, 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 the extremely buffed bodies and the, and the insane muscles bulging out everywhere, which unlike in 300 aren't CG aided in this case, as far as I know, uh, just, you know, you're just dealing with a really buff cast. (laughs) You're just, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Spartacus does not look like a great TV show. It, or at least it doesn't look like what we think great TV looks like or is supposed to look like. And that's what's great about it is that it, it, it came like a bolt from the blue in a totally different direction. And it had so many more hurdles to overcome than any other show we've talked about. <laughs> that's all public record. You're right. It, it It's got the most inventive use of language since Deadwood. Which I wouldn't, it's several rungs below that, to be honest, but everything else is not even on the same playing field, so that's saying something. Uh, I feel like I've said in various mediums, I've already sung the praises and made all these points enough times. Okay, I... Also, my voice hurts. <laughs> we'll have some water. Um, but, uh, I mean, and I I know I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I'm passionate and we've been doing this recording for a while, so apparently my... My judgment is impaired, but if you don't watch Spartacus because you say it looks like 300, that is bullshit. You are lazy <laughs> uh, as a viewer, and you do not deserve the show. Uh, there there was a what? movie I... once that shares so- somewhat of a similar aesthetic. Therefore, any movie that ever, or television show, or any artistic expression that shares any level of aesthetic sim- similarity, I'm going to immediately discount. That is bullshit. I, I won't disagree with you. I mean, and, and I think the the perfect example is, I, I don't think he'll mind me bringing him into this, is uh, is our own, uh, our, our own cohort, Mr. Ricky D, who ended up writing up the the bit on the Spartacus finale in our best episode of the year list, he was so apprehensive about starting to watch Spartacus, and I was like, "No, dude, you you got to you got to watch this." And he watched the first couple episodes, and he was like, "I don't know, man." I'm like, "Dude, no, you have to keep going." And before very long, it, at first he he thought we were insane for putting it on our top tens. He was like, "What are you thinking?" I'm like, "No, keep going." And before very long, he was right there in the praise chorus with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the ultimate testament. I, I I believe I got a after he watched the finale. I believe he sent us a tweet of gratitude. Uh, he did, yes. Yeah, because it, it, honestly, guys, anybody out there who's listening who has not tried Spartacus, who has not given it a shot, if you if you are in line at all with all the other recommendations we have made, if if we have not significantly steered you wrong in the past, don't let. A movie directed by Zack Snyder from how long ago? <laughs> Seven years ago, eight years ago. Make you miss out on such an amazing, amazing achievement of storytelling and narrative and performance. And by the end, there, oh god, the action and the the drama and the romance and some of the best depictions. And I talked about this earlier with Orange Is the New Black being such a, a LGBTQ positive show. Spartacus too. It's such a beautiful thing to see on my television. A, a couple being the, the stable couple, being the gay couple, and having no one bat an eye at it because it's historically accurate. I mean, there's there's so much to love about Spartacus, and yes. seeing it only show up on one list I have seen is just it's 
it's kind of destroyed my my faith in the entirety of the TV critic world. So that's Oof. why I'm so passionate about it. Oh, fair enough. Other critics, you've been Gauntlet. Told. Gauntlet, Gauntlet down. Okay, let's move on to our number one. And as I will surprise no one, right? Shall we together? One, two, three. It's Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad. Yes. Uh, this is a show that I think we... I mean, it is slightly surprising that it's our number one, only in the sense that last year we did have a lot of issues with it, which I think were totally fair. I think the first half of the last season had a lot of problems, which I think were existent in miniature form in some little tiny bits of the last half season. Breaking Bad is not a perfect show. There is no perfect show. But as you mentioned, you can sometimes get perfect episodes and... The, I mean, there's, there was. Don't get me wrong. There's tons of great stuff through the whole season, but Ozymandias is the titan of 2013. It's the titan of the last five years of TV, as far as I'm concerned. That is just everyone involved needs to needs to you know give themselves the one hand clapping because if there's anything wrong with it, it's that it should have been the finale. And I still think that the last two episodes are fine. They contain some great moments. They only contain one revelatory moment, which I think we can agree on what that is. But if if they'd had the balls to make Ozymandias the finale, maybe with a couple of little tweaks, Breaking Bad would be would be even more legendary than it already is. I'm going to say that those last two episodes have, they're not just good. They're not just all right. They're they're excellent. They're fantastic. They're just not Ozymandias. Uh, and, and really, I don't think anyone should feel bad about that because that, an Ozymandias does not happen <laughs> most of the time in television. That well, I'm curious what comes to mind first for you for Ozymandias because for me, it's Anna Gunn in the street. Uh, well, I was actually pointing to, I mean, that is a great moment. You mean from that episode? or yeah. Oh, um, there's a lot. I mean... The whole staging of the showdown in the house is incredible. Uh, I, I often I have to think of the shot of the phone and the knife and the phone and the knife. Uh, obviously, everything in the desert is heartbreaking and just shatteringly realized. Um, I mean, the phone call. The phone, yeah. It's got to be the phone call. It's got to be everything. There's just too many individual scenes, individual moments. So... I just imagine Gilligan and co writing this episode and realizing they'd written the perfect ending and then realizing they had two episodes to go and just making do with the best of it. And just, and maybe they tried to repaste the whole thing somehow to get it over eight episodes, but no, because the other thing that we're neglecting right now is that those first five episodes are perfectly paced. They're not as towering as Ozymandias, but the way, I mean, as soon as we get to that garage, Mm-hmm. And we get that showdown. That to me was the eureka moment of they have figured out exactly how to do this right. That was when I knew that Breaking Bad was going to be number one this year. It's like they've all those issues that I had with every episode that wasn't Dead Freight in the first half of la- of last season. Those are gone now because this shit just got real. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Uh, just because uh, we, we will be talking about, about this next week. We've already talked about it in our entire, what was that, um, over an hour discussion with Ricky D. Uh, just on, you know, the last season and, and the series as a whole. You can find that at Sound On Sight. So we're not going to get too much further, I don't think, in, into Breaking Bad. And we will talk about it next week. 
Um, but, but just the acting, the music, the cinematography, the casting, every element of production is amazing. The color timing of this, of the, of the episode, like it's, it's really, it's such an amazing achievement outside of how satisfying it is outside of what a marvelously written and directed show it is. It's just, it's, it's, it's going to be a long time before we have another Breaking Bad. I mean, the one thing I can add that I didn't say because it had because it hadn't come out yet when we were doing that last recording. I think the one of the ultimate testaments to how gobsmackingly awesome and what an achievement Breaking Bad was is just how terrified Vince Gilligan is right now. And he's admitted it. He's just like, what are the odds that I get to be this awesome on TV twice? He didn't say it like that. This is how this is my paraphrasing. But he, he's right because there are so many variables with TV production. How can you make something that special happen again? The fact that he is not going to be running Better Call Saul, which starts next year, by the way, I think is interesting. And I I think it's actually good because if they're going to do that, it may as well be tonally significantly different from Breaking Bad. I think it's a good move. But the fact that he's weighing his options and thinking, what is what am I going to do? The fact that he's been told by other showrunners, no, you've got to hit the ground running. You've got to do something else now. You've got to capitalize on your energy. And he's just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that to me is just, you know, most showrunners are, are I mean, we've already dis discussed how different he is as a showrunner. But just the fact that even he, the guy who made Breaking Bad, is just struck dumb and terrified by what his next move is tells you everything you need to know. Yep. And and uh, we've already just expressed our uh, uh, apprehension, shall we say, about Better Call Saul. But, uh, I mean, I, w I will follow Vince Gilligan, you know, pretty much anywhere. And I'm very much looking forward to sort of, we will be... Uh, spoiler alert, I guess. We will be talking about X-Files coming up here um, in the not-too-distant future, and I'm really looking forward to seeing a bit of his progression as a writer on that show uh, as well. I mean, aside from, you know, getting to discover this cast, many of whom I was utterly unfamiliar with, uh, just getting to, to watch the growth of a showrunner and and also a, a writing writer's room, this is going to be the next show, I think, after Buffy, yeah, the Buffy was the first show where I knew all of those writers' names, and I knew when a r episode that a specific writer had written was coming up. I I knew I had an idea of what was coming, and I was excited. This is you know the next the next episode that is written by Moira Moira Wally Beckett, who wrote Ozymandias, or directed by Michelle McLaren, or any of these other uh, amazing collaborator collaborators behind the scenes of of Breaking Bad. I'm gonna be you know very aware <laughs> i'm going to be watching and waiting with bated breath to see what all of them do next it's just again an astounding achievement in in television and film and art yes and that's why it's number one and that's why it's number one so now that we've gone through our our top 10 shall we give some of our honorable mentions our 20 through 11 11 through 20 which way do you want to do that i'll do 20 through 11 uh my number 20 is the Ravana which is right up there with Hannibal and Breaking Bad as it's one of the most gobsmackingly beautiful shows all year. I didn't like where it ended up as much as where it started, but I'm not going to lie when I say that many of its images and moments will resonate with me for quite a while. 19 is Masters of Sex, um, one of the shows that I was most excited for this year and I think 
fell a little bit short of the mark I was hoping it would hit, especially having been spoiled by the Americans' first season. I thought it would be, and Orange is the New Black, I thought, my God, it's going to be an incredible year for freshman series. It was maybe a rung below that, but there was still a lot of goodness, even though we had certain problems with certain characters over the course of the year, and I'm not going to rehash those issues again. Number 18, Key and Peele, the best sketch show going right now by a huge margin. I think this latest season was definitely their best. So many great moments, great sketches. There was not an episode that went by without one at least dynamite sketch that I can think of. Uh, number 17 is Bob's Burgers, which apparently other people thought had an incredible year. I thought they had a pretty good year. Uh, definitely better last year, but still very charming and funny and all that good stuff. I'm, I've already lost track. 20? Yes. Uh, number 16 is Southland. Uh, rest in peace. Speaking of shows that are no longer with us, a show. this is a real anomaly, a show I only caught the, the last season of. Uh, didn't watch before that. I believe it was me that urged us to do that, and I'm very happy I did, uh, just based on hearing good buzz from other people. Um, one of the best cop shows of the last few years, and chaos will get there. Um, yeah. <laughs> woo! Uh, next week, 15, guys. Stay tuned. <laughs> next week. Uh, number 15 is American Horror Story. I'm going to give it some points for Asylum, the last few episodes aired this year, and some points for Coven as well. Uh, just one of the most balls out fun shows to watch. Uh, it can be, it's another one of those shows with incredible tonal breadth and it's able to, to touch on a lot of issues. Uh, I'm very curious to see how this season wraps up. I understand why people don't like Coven, but I think they're incorrect. Uh, number 14 is Game of Thrones. It's great for all the reasons you know that it's great, but to be honest, I'm always going to dock at a couple of points for having source material. I know it's not right. That, I know that's it's ridiculous. Not fair. You know what else has source material? Spartacus. History. Sorry. Sorry. For having source material that it follows fairly explicitly. More explicitly than anything else on TV. I think you can agree. That doesn't that, that can make your job a lot harder as opposed to making it easy. I disagree with that. I, there are plenty of th reasons to dock Game I of can't Thrones. Help that it. is not I, one of the reasons I to dock can't Game help of it. I can't help it. It's just how my brain works. It's one of the biases I have. I'm sorry. Venture Brothers number 13, awesome for all the reasons we've already stated. Hannibal number 12, awesome for all the reasons we've already stated. Number 11, it hurt to cut it. Orphan Black, Maslani, Maslani, Maslani. We'll get there. You go. <laughs> okay, my number 20 is Game of Thrones. Um, you had plenty of amazing characters. You got, of course, we got a just brief mention, and we'll we'll get there next week, of of. Gwendolyn Christie as Brienne and Nikolai Costa Waldo as Jamie Waldo that is there was all the awesomeness with Tywin the introduction of the Lady of Thorns uh, Lady Elena uh, played by of course Dame Diana Rigg there was plenty of amazingness as far as the the storytelling and the character building and the world building you had even just uh, he's I'm sorry he's also only Brutus to me Brutus not shooting the the funeral pyre with the arrows um, when they're, you know, the, the Tully's when yes. they're at River Run, that fantastic scene. Of course, the, we neither of us have mentioned the Red Wedding, but I mean, come on, guys, the Red Wedding. There's plenty of fantastic uh, material in Game of Thrones this year. There was a, there were a couple storylines that didn't really work for me, and those knocked it down a notch, as well as, you know, this is just a much more competitive year. Uh, number 19, Strike Back, which I have above Game of Thrones, even though Game of Thrones, by all accounts, should be a better show, and most people would say it is a better <laughs> show. You would say it's a better show. Uh, yep. But I just had so much fun with that show. It's it sort of, you know, in the same way that I had, we had so much fun with Justified. I had so much 
fun, exhilarating fun with Strike Back that it, it made my list. Um, nine, uh, in number 18, Bunheads, amazing for all the things, all the reasons we already said. Number 17, The Americans, amazing for all the reasons we already said. Uh, number 16, The Wrong Mans, uh, which, which just really fell in my sweet spot of noir and comedy and uh, it just had such a delightful sensibility and, and a sense of humor about it, it's, about itself. I had a lot of fun with that show and uh, it'll probably help that I watched it in the past week or so. Did you catch up with it? I should specify I did watch the first three episodes of The Wrong Mans this morning. Uh, I don't know if it gets significantly better after that. I think it's cute and I and amusing and all that stuff, but I just don't think it hits that higher echelon. Yep, and that could as, as when I found out you were, as I said, when I found out you were going to watch them a bit, I don't know that this is is going to be as much of a Simon show as it is me because it does just happen to fit that Venn diagram like perfectly to to right. hit all the right buttons for me. But uh, I had a lot of fun with that one. Then for, at number fifteen we had girls, which I know I liked a lot more than you did this season. Looking back on the season, there were a lot of uh, episodes that really worked for me. A lot of moments I'm gonna remember. Oh God, that Q-tip uh, forever. I think Q-tips for all. Uh, uh, but there was plenty. There we had Hannah and Elijah taking coke and going clubbing. We had the emotional fallout from that, which was just sort of terrifying. Terrifying. We had great stuff with Chris O'Dowd and Jessa. We had meeting Jessa's father. We had just Marnie singing which is so painful that i'm just kind of still scarred from it but it was you can't deny it was effective there was plenty of material this week and then of course you had the beautiful one man's trash i don't care if you didn't like it patrick wilson haters but uh, i thought it was amazing and uh then there's, there's oh, i don't i don't think there are any patrick wilson haters i think there are only yeah but Lena i'm not Dunham addressing haters. those other people yeah um, fair enough but uh but no there there was a lot for me that really worked about girls and i wasn't as put off by the finale as i know you were um number 14 veep which is another comedy that i looked back on the season and said you know what i had a lot of fun with this show week in and week out thinking about uh, when i went back and looked at an episode list i it very quickly came back to me as one of the most uh consistent comedies that i watched this year i really enjoyed um especially the helsinki episode all of the the back and forth with um with, with if she was going to resign at the very selena was going to resign at the very end of the season there it was a lot of fun veep this year and and uh, i think I think if they can just get a couple little tweaks, they, that really could come together to be a truly great show as opposed to a satisfying and entertaining show. Um, number 13 for me is Enlightened, which I didn't love as much as everybody else seems to have, but I still really did connect with. I'm very glad that I watched it. So thank you, everybody out there who said I should watch it because I wouldn't have, and I'm so that glad that I did. I agree with all of the praise that's going out there for the ghost is seen. You can hear Randy talk about it a little bit on our best episodes of the year list. It was a beautiful episode. More about that next week, but um, it also just, it, 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 crystallized in its second season it came together in a way that for me the first season didn't and so i had to have it on my list it was a truly remarkable achievement um number 12 orphan black we'll get there next week with uh the some of the specifics but just such a wonderful surprise so, a show that take takes all the wrong steps of so many other genre series and just sidesteps them neatly before continuing on its inventive entertaining comedic dramatic everything sort of uh sort of path so a lot of fun with Orphan Black I can't wait for next season and my number 11 is Treme oh, Treme I'm gonna miss you I'm gonna miss you so much it hurt to, to keep it off my top 10 that was the one that went on the longest back and forth um this this five episode final season I know by the time you guys hear this you will not have seen the finale yet 
I, I don't want you to think that I don't want people, anyone to expect a Tipitina style, just amazing finale. I think it's a very good finale. I think it's a very fitting finale. I think this whole final season works. It, it almost, it's somewhat against it. There's somewhat of a demerit against the series in that it's exactly what it should be and what you expect it to be. So it doesn't really surprise people, I think, in, in the way that they might hope. But it's only five episodes in this world, and there's only so much story you can tell in this world in five episodes. Um, and that being said, I still think they do a remarkable job, and I, I'm going to miss that world so much. Um, I really, really am going to miss Treme. But So that's why it's my number 11 of the year. Any final thoughts on any of the shows I said? Uh, I would love to have seen the five episodes of Treme, but I didn't. I only saw three so I didn't feel right listing it in any capacity, but um, it's obviously a great show, and it probably would have landed somewhere in my top 20 had I seen the whole thing, but I didn't. And I should also mention that Veep and Girls and several other things are sitting just outside my top 20, looking a little bit sad about not being in there, but say that be competitive year, like you said. Yep, so that wraps up our top 10 of the year. Shall we go through them one more time? Let's do it. Okay, number 10. My number 10 is Adventure Time. My number 10 is The Venture Brothers. Number 9. Bunheads. Rectify. Number eight. The Good Wife. Eastbound and Down. Number seven. The Americans. The Good Wife. Number six. Top, Top of the, the Lake. lake. <laughs> number five. Orange is the New Black. Justified. Number four. Spartacus. Where the damned. Hannibal. Number th- number three. Justified. <laughs> Orange is the New Black. Number two. Rectify. Spartacus. Where the damned. And number one. Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad. So it's been a great year of television. We've had a lot of fun talking about it. Hopefully you've enjoyed us talking about it for probably far too long. So we will take our leave um, and and come back next week with our best of the rest blowout. Anything else you can possibly imagine and plenty of things that you couldn't, I'm sure. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find us post up at soundonsite.org. We would love to hear from you on iTunes or at the website or on Gmail, uh, theteleverse at gmail.com or on Facebook. You can like us there to follow what's going on. Of course, we're both on Twitter at the Televerse and I'm at Sucker Howl. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.